Uh, we started a new series last week uh, called Overflow. Uh, in the middle of Luke in chapter 7, Jesus uh, encounters a woman whose only son has died. And when he sees the woman crying, it says that his heart overflows with compassion. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to spend time with Jesus. I think this, this time with Jesus is really important for us to learn Jesus because still who Jesus is and what he's about and what he stands for is debated and misunderstood and, and controversial, but also good and fulfilling and life-giving. Last week, we talked about the forerunner, John the Baptist. You guys remember this guy? The, the wild, hairy, I think of like Hagrid from uh, you Harry Potter fan. That's what I think of John the Baptist. I don't know why. Uh, locust, honey-eating eaten guy. And John the Baptist's job is to be the forerunner, to go before and, and proclaim that the king is coming. And if you remember from last week, his message was prepare the way. Prepare the way. And, and what they would do is they would prepare the road for the coming of the king. But when John said prepare the way to the people, he wasn't talking about paving or, or cobblestones or brick. He was talking about our lives. Prove by the way you live that you've given your life to God. And he pre preached a message of repentance and baptism for all people. Remember we talked about Luke, the good doctor, the author of this gospel. This story of Jesus is by far the most inclusive of any of the gospel writers uh, later in his second book, or the addendum to Luke in the book of Acts, he says that the kingdom of God is for every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And in Luke, you see that demonstrated again and again and again. We're going to continue in Luke in uh, chapter 3. If you brought your Bibles, you want to open them up. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, and we're going to move really quickly in chapter 3, verse 21, let's go ahead and read this, what happens next in our story. One day when the crowds were being baptized by Hagrid from Harry Potter, uh, Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a what? A dove. Okay, so uh, just a Christian history. Way, 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 I know maybe some of you are wearing crosses. So the first Christians would have never worn a cross. It was a symbol of shame and and defeat and torture and all this kind of stuff. The first Christian, the first Christian symbol was a symbol of a dove. That's right. Because the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice from heaven. I always hear it like Charlton Heston. <laughs> I can't do it. I was going to try, but I can't do it now. I'm nervous. Um, it says, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The moment he's risen out of the water, baptism, remember, means immersion. It means the whole thing. As he comes up, the heavens part. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends and says, you're my son, and I'm proud of you. And Luke, the story continues in, a, in very exciting fashion by listing next a genealogy. <laughs> Are any of you guys into genealogies? You do like Ancestry.com. Do you like this stuff? You don't want to admit it. You're such nerds. You know you like it. In Luke chapter 3, it says uh, Jesus was about 30 years old. So do you see what happens there from uh, between verse 22 and verse 23 or, or somewhere in there? We, we gain about 30 years, 30 years. 
Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of who? You guys know this part? And Joseph was the son of, of Heli, and Heli was the son of Mathat, and Mathat the son of Levi, and Melchi, and Janai, and Joseph. And if you look in your Bibles in a, um, let's just be honest, in, in chapter 3, it's, it's the part you just kind of skim through. Because it's just a list of names. It's the full genealogy of Jesus. And if you look through these names, you see Matthias and Jodah and Jonan and Zerubbabel and Addi and Cossum and Ur and Joshua and Levi and Simeon and Judah, Joseph, son of David, son of Jesse, Obed, Boaz. If you guys remember our study from Ruth, you know who Boaz is. Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. And it goes on for verse after verse after verse, listing the whole family tree, the whole genealogy of Jesus Christ. So interesting study for a different time. If you look at Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, they're different. How can a genealogy be different, you say? That's a good question. Let's answer that later. I'll, I'll just let you take that one home with you. Um, if you fast forward to the very bottom of the genealogy, the, the very beginning of the family tree, in verse 38 it says, uh, uh, Kenan was the son of Enosh, Enosh was the son of Seth, Seth was the son of who? And Adam was the son of... All right, so in Matthew's genealogy, it goes all the way back to Abraham, because in Matthew, a very Jewish gospel, remember Luke is a Gentile, which just means non-Jewish. Matthew is very, very, very Jewish. Matthew's trying to prove Jesus' Jewish origins. And so Matthew's genealogy goes back to Abraham, but Luke goes further, right? It goes way further, all the way back to Adam. Uh, in fact, in Corinthians, it says that Jesus is the second Adam or the penultimate Adam. I'm not trying to brag about my name or anything. You know, I'm just saying Jesus is the second, second Adam. And Adam was, was, it, was Adam born of anyone? No, Adam was formed. Adam was the son of God. And then we get into uh, chapter 4, and I, I just want to read this extended section. It's a little bit long, so follow with me about 13 verses. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing, uh, nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came.
Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, sometime, we think, after his baptism. The, this wilderness place is actually a, we, we actually know where it is. It's a, it's a 35 mile by about 15 mile swatch of land um, called Jishimun. And, and it literally means the devastation. Here's a picture. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but it's not, a, it's not sand, but just craggy, uh, boulder-sized rocks. And these three temptations of Jesus are, 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 are parallel. To, it's a lesson for another time, but they parallel another people's time in the desert. Do you guys remember this? Moses leads the Israelites across the river in, or across the sea into the wilderness for how long? Yeah, so you see 40 days, 40 years, there's a play on that word. It's a time of tempting. The first test is stone to bread. The ground is littered with these, these stones about the size of a loaf of bread. And it's a test of sustainability, uh, but also a test of power. We, we know right off the bat this is not a test for us because uh, 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 apparently the devil, apparently Satan already knows that Jesus apparently has the power to change Stones to bread, this is a power most of us don't possess, right? So he already knows that Jesus is powerful, and so the temptation is to, to, to sustain yourself, to, to seek life, to determine for yourself where life comes from. You see how that works? Uh, there's this great thing that happens when we fast, like Jesus is fasting in the desert. Uh, there's the, the, I know I've told you before, but the message of fasting is a, is is contrary to what the Boy Scouts teach. You know, the Boy Scouts will teach you that you need three things to survive. You need food, you need water, and you need what? Shelter. Shelter, that's right. And fasting says, what I need comes from God. See how that works? It's not just turning food down, but it's looking to God to sustain us. What I need to sustain my life comes from him and him alone. And so Jesus passes the first test and refuses. Next, Jesus is taken up to, uh, in, a, in a moment, it says, he showed all the kingdoms of the world from a mountaintop, and, and it's a test of glory and authority. And Satan says, all of this that you see, this all belongs to me. Is that true? Uh, kind of, sort of. <laughs> We know, that, we know that Satan does have some sort of dominion, some sort of power, some sort of control over this world. And what he offers Jesus is, is praise. He offers him, uh, you'll get all the glory from these kingdoms. You'll, you'll get to be in charge. You'll get to possess all of this um, if you do this one little thing. Why don't you just forget about God and worship me instead? then I'll give you glory. I'll give you praise. And again, Jesus passed the test. And finally, the last test is Jesus taken up onto the, the top of the temple. This is, a, this is a place that everyone would have known what this is. Uh, maybe 250, 300 feet high and says, uh, uh, Satan gets wise and he starts using Jesus' own uh, responses against him. So in each instance, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy in response to Satan's test. And so now, this time, Satan quotes Deuteronomy back to Jesus and says, well, you know, Scripture says if you fall off, the angels will come and rescue you. 
And again, Jesus passes the test. He refuses to be baited. Now, what are these tests? I think they're paternity tests. You know what a paternity test is? Uh, like, I think Jerry Springer made them incredibly popular like around the world. A, a paternity test is, just shows who your parents are, right? Is there some question about uh, uh, who you belong to? And, and really, these three tests from, uh, from the devil, from Satan, are paternity tests. Uh, essentially, go ahead and put that next slide up there. Oh, put the next slide up there. There we go. I put that up there just for one guy in this room who loves Star Wars like crazy. Um, yeah, this is what Satan is asking Jesus. Who's your daddy? And I can prove it. Go ahead and put that other slide. You remember when Jesus is brought up out of the water? Remember he's raised out of the waters of baptism, the heavens part, and the spirit of God like a dove descends, and the voice from heaven says what? You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Luke goes to great lengths to list the entire genealogy of Jesus all the way back, not to Abraham, but includes all humanity. The entire genealogy of Jesus goes back to, and Adam was the son of who? And if Jesus is a relative, if Jesus is the second Adam or a relative of Adam, then Jesus is also a son of God. You see how that works? And then even the most obvious clues in the actual testing of Jesus himself, the, the devil says to him in the wilderness, if you are the son of God. Exodus says it twice. Do you see what's up for grabs? Do you see what Satan is after in this testing? You see what he wants? Each test is an attempt to displace God in Jesus' life. Jesus' person and place of worship is rock solid on God, and he refuses to let anyone or anything displace, dethrone, diminish the reign of God in his life. Jesus proves his, his paternity. He, he proves his blood, his birth, not by flaunting his divine power, because Jesus could have done all of these things asked of him, correct? Jesus, it's totally capable for him to turn, uh, he's going to turn water to wine, turning a stone to bread. I can do it. He could seek glory and praise. He could, he could fall and the angels would protect him. But Jesus proves his blood and birth, not by flaunting his divine power, but by submission. He proves his paternity by submitting in all things to the source of real power, his Father God. It is through submission and obedience that Jesus' sonship is rendered undeniable. Are you with me? No. Are you with me? Like, okay, okay. Pretend like you are, even if you're not. So does Jesus pass the test? Yeah, absolutely. He passes the test. He proves that he is who, what the dove said, right? He proves that he is the son of God, not through a display of power, but submission and by obedience to God in everything. Jesus passes his test. What about you? 
What about us? I love the example that, uh, that Francis Chan gives, and I'm, I'm sure I probably used it before, but um, we, we tend to look at things uh, differently in our, in our world, and in Christianity sometimes things, are, things get really sideways. Uh, Francis Chan, he, he uses the example, and I'll just use it for, for my own life, but um, if, if I told my eight-year-old daughter, Harper, I want you to go clean your room, and then two hours later, Harper comes back, and, uh, and she says, Dad, totally memorized what you said. Would that, would that be okay? Would that be acceptable? And I would say, no, Harper, I, I told you, I want you to go clean your room. And so she takes off again, and two hours later, she said, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but I got a group of people together, some of my friends. We, we spent two hours talking about what you meant when you said, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek, Dad. Is, is that, does that impress you? <laughs> Memorize it. Study it. Say it in Greek. But if we aren't obedient, what have we really accomplished? Think about taking that same scenario to a to your coach or to your boss. I had this uh, junior basketball coach uh, when I was in junior high. It was, it was an awesome black guy. He had the coolest mustache ever. His name was Coach Roach, R- literally. I, I promise you, that was his name. Um, and I just try to imagine in my head, if Coach Roach said, hey, Adam, I want you to go do this warm-up and then take these shots. And I, if I, if I, I just imagine what would happen to me if I came back to him and said, hey, I heard what you said, and I've been really thinking about that really hard. What would happen? What would happen if your coach said, hey, I want you to go do this? You know, I'd be running laps until my feet bled. You know, like I would be like, you know, I wouldn't be able to stand. What if you did that same thing with your boss? If your boss said, hey, I've got this assignment for you. I want you to take this and go. And you came back, you know, two hours later, two, two days later and said, man, I really, you know, I got that assignment. I've really been reading that and looking at that really carefully. What would happen? Um, it made me think about, uh, I know we got Alabama fans in here, you know, what would happen if you were on Saban's team, right? And said, Coach Saban said, hey, I want you to go do this, this, and this, and you came back and said, you know, I've really been thinking about that. <laughs> like murder, death, kill. Like that's what I think of. Like I don't know. Like Yet somehow when Jesus says, Pray like this. We become, we, we totally forget how to play the game, Simon says, right? Like, Jesus says, hey, I, I, I want you to, I want, I want you to live this way. I, I want you to, I want you to pray this way. I, I want you to, to value these things. Uh, I've been, um, I've been thinking about the election a lot, and I, and I know, um, so I know I'm already on shaky ground. Don't talk about the election. Don't talk about the election. Don't talk about the election. Um, and uh, and kind of what I've been what I've been thinking about is kind of like a, uh, I, I feel a little bit trapped with the election that that's coming up in our country of, um, 
Because I, somebody's going to think I'm an idiot no matter what I do. If I don't vote, I'm an idiot. If I vote for the candidate on this side, I'm an idiot. If I vote for a candidate on this side, to, to somebody, I'm going to be an idiot. If, if I choose a third-party candidate, I'm an idiot. If, if I stay in this country, if somebody gets elected, I'm an idiot. If I leave this country after somebody's elected, I'm an idiot, right? Like, I, I'm an idiot no matter what I do. <laughs> like, and some of you are like, amen. Um, thank you. Um. And, and, it, and it scares me a little bit because I, I feel like our country, we're having our own wilderness time. We're, we're having our own time of testing, our, our own, we're in, the, we're in the devastation. Like, we're in it. Satan is here testing us. And, and, and it scares me because I wonder if we're teaching our kids that if someone disagrees with me, then they're an idiot. Man, I, I really wonder if we are in the wilderness. But the test is not who is going to be elected. I think the test is how we treat each other. What if that's the test? Because I think what I'm seeing happening in this election, in our relationships with each other, is, is not the way of Jesus. Jesus says to love, your, to love your neighbor. Jesus says to love your enemy. In Romans chapter 12, we were just reading it this morning. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says to live in harmony with each other. How are you doing on that test? How are you going to follow the direct teaching command of Jesus to go and make disciples of someone you think is an idiot? How are you going to go and make disciples of somebody you've just defriended on Facebook? In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become, what are those three words? God himself has said, maybe you, maybe you didn't get a dove when you were baptized, <laughs> but through Jesus' sacrifice, God himself has said, that you, it, when you believe in him and accept him, you are children of God. And he has given you the right to be adopted into his own family. And so the question that, that bounces around in scripture, and Jesus says it himself, Jesus says, so, so if you have been adopted into God's family and you are his children, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say. Do you see how we pass the test? 
We pass the test in the exact same way Jesus passed his test. The, the test is passed not when we assert our ability to live life by our own terms and exercise our own willfulness and, and powerfulness and authority. The, the test is passed not when we possess and accomplish and achieve and earn. The, the test is passed not when we are admired and praised and glorified and worshipped. The test is passed when we submit to God in all things. Can I get an amen? We prove that we are sons and daughters of God through obedience to him in all things. Well, what do you mean by all things? Well, I mean all things, right? In our attitude, in our values, in our money, in our speech, in the things that we watch. I catch myself um, flying into a rage internal. I have an internal rage that I fly into when somebody cuts me off or slights me even a little bit in traffic. Does that happen to you? You know it has. Don't you be lying here in church. <laughs> and what I know is there's some part of me that I haven't fully submitted to Christ yet, right? There's a part of me that's being disobedient. We prove that we are sons and daughters of God through obedience to him in all things. Make no doubt about it. The devil didn't just come to test Jesus then in that moment, long time ago. But the tempter has come for you also. He wants desperately to displace God in your own life. The tempter desperately wants for you to question who you are. He wants you to question your birthright. Think about this. Think about this. Think about it, think about it this way. Um, if you are facing temptation, if the devil is testing you, it's because he knows you belong to God. Think about that. If he's testing you, it's because he already knows who you are. He's testing to see if you know who you belong to. Maybe you're in the wilderness right now. Maybe even this very moment, you're, you're facing temptation. I, I could ask a question, and, and you could just take it with you, but like, what is, what is one area of your life right now that you are refusing to submit to God. You know, I'll give God a lot. I'll give him this, and I'll give him this, and I'll, you know, I'll go through my shelves. I'll give, I'll give God this, and I'll give God this, but this, I, I, I want to hold on to this. But we prove we are sons and daughters of God through obedience to God and everything. I'm going to go ahead and invite the, the worship team. You guys can go ahead and come back up. I just want to share a few, few final thoughts with you. <laughs> Even in, I mean, we're, we're in chapter 4. Jesus hasn't preached a sermon yet. He hasn't, he hasn't uh, 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 
given us a prayer to pray yet. He, he hasn't healed anybody yet. No one, has come, no one has come to him yet. And his very first example to us is what? Obedience. I know it's not a popular word. But that's where he starts. Jesus is the new source of triumph in the wilderness. Did, did Israel long ago, did they, did, they, did they triumph in the wilderness? No, they, before they, God even knew what was happening, they turned around and they made a golden calf and they wanted to go back to Egypt. And they were, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's their story is our story of, of kind of fail after fail after fail, being tempted and failing and, and lifting ourselves up. But Jesus is the new source of triumph in the wilderness. And with him, he brings confidence and overcoming temptation and a new future that brings life and restoration. Children who are reconciled through blood to the Father. God doesn't require us to assert our dominance or authority, only that we would claim our birthright as sons and daughters of God by submitting to him in all things. And that's only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see how that works? So this morning, I invite you in uh, intangible, real ways. Uh, you remember what John the Baptist says, prove by the way you live. Like, like this can't just be a teaching you agree with. Like this has to be something that's, that's lived out in, in practical ways in our life. I, I challenge you to, to give your life to Jesus again to trust his example. What's that one thing you've been holding on to and you, you're refusing to give God this decision or this choice? Man, let it go. Be obedient in everything. Trust him with it. And, and to be obedient to God is to really alter reality, right? You know, we want our kids, when, our, when your kid's being tempted at, at, at high school or tempted at school, we want them to make the right choice, right? They're being presented one version of reality, and we want them to choose a different version of reality. When we're obedient to Christ, that's exactly what we represent. That's exactly what we present. We, we say to a world that says, this is the way, and this is the only way, we show them a whole new kind of life. So this morning, I invite you to give your life to Jesus again, to trust his example, to repent and be baptized. And through obedience to God in all things, accept your birthright. So in just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And for us, it's, it's communion and prayer and response and baptism. It's all in this space, all in this next moment. And I feel like God's Spirit has been moving in your life to bring you right here to this moment, not for it just to pass without you thinking about it, not for it to pass without you spending a moment of contemplation or thinking. But man, I, I think he's brought you to this moment to enter it and engage in it. So as we enter in this time of communion, we've got tables set up around the room with the elements of communion, the the body and, and the blood of Jesus Christ right here in front of us. We get to align with him again, claim our birthright again, ask for forgiveness. If there's ways that we can pray for you or serve you, we want to do that. This church believes in prayer. Uh, I, I don't want to give too much information and, and, and hang people out there, but we have literally seen two people in the last six months um, be brought back from death by prayer in this church. 
we believe in prayer. And it can change your life. And so this morning, if we can pray for you, we want to. And maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ in baptism, man. That moment you've been, that, that last piece of obedience, you've been disobedience, you've been holding on to that for a long time, and now it's your day, and we invite you to give your life to Christ in everything. If you want to be baptized, we're, we're here and we're ready, and we have everything you need. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the example of Jesus. I pray that we would be that we would be faithful to follow it. Give us the courage and, and, and the conviction. Give us the accountability, the, the community to help us follow your example. Well, we know we're going to do it imperfectly and, and seek, we'll need to seek forgiveness. And that's, that's what you freely offer. But God, we are called to be obedient to you in all things. And so God, let that, let that reverberate inside each one of us because you have claimed us through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, through his death, his burial and resurrection, you've made a way for us to be adopted into your family. And so, Father God, let us, uh, let us men and women here live like it. We love you, Father. And in your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says,